So do you remember the first time you heard the good news about Jesus? You remember that first time? Now maybe some of you, it just kind of has bled over in your life. It's just kind of what you heard. You grew up in church and you just heard it over and over again from a little child, a little baby. And as you grew older in the children's church and your parents just kind of taught you God's word over and over again, you heard it in church, a youth group. And maybe that's your story. That, that, that was my story. I, I, I didn't have a season of my life where I didn't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I feel like in my mother's womb, she was in my mom's belly. She was preaching it to me. I was hearing my dad preach and others preach and And I just heard it all of my life. But for some of you, you you didn't grow up in a Christian home. You didn't grow up in a home where you heard the gospel consistently in your life. But you remember that time. The first time you heard the good news concerning Christ. What did it do to you? It changed you. You received it. A lot of you in here, most of you in here, you received it with joy. You received it for what it is. It was was a, a, a cup of refreshing water in a dry land and you received it with gladness. Some of you here today, you heard it and you went, "Eh, that's not what I want right now. And you went back to your regularly scheduled programming of your life. But then as faithful as God is, he seeks and saves those that are lost. He pursues you. He pursues you. And you, you heard the gospel again. And a little more of the wall in your heart that was built up against the truth. The scripture was torn down layer by layer. And then all of a sudden, you found yourself receiving the gospel for what it is. Like a glass of cold, refreshing water on a parched day. On a, you were thirsty and you received it and you were born again. You, you remember that. You remember when you were born again. You remember that moment. Do you, do you think back to your life of what you were doing before you were a Christian? What direction were you going? Where were you headed? If I gave the mic, we passed it around this morning and we started asking, where do you think you were going? Where were you headed? What was happening in your life? We'd have some crazy stories in here, wouldn't we? But God in his mercy sought after you and awakened you to the truth of his good news and he changed your life and the trajectory of your life completely changed and you began to go in a different direction and people that knew you before you were saved looked at you and said, they're going to church? No way. Really? They're going to church? Uh, You know, you were probably that person that was the last person that people would ever think would become a Bible thumper. You know those terms, Bible thumper, you know, you're just just a Jesus freak. Oh, you turn into a Jesus freak. How many Jesus freaks do we have here today? Amen? Woo! Others, you came to Christ even in the midst of your doubts. You had doubts. It wasn't that you were against the idea of Christ or God, but you had doubts and the Lord helped you work through those doubts. He was patient with you and kind towards you and helped you find answers that you were looking for. But either way, we can all think back to the journey that the Holy Spirit took us on that opened up our eyes to behold the beauty of Christ and to do what? To turn and to follow him. To follow him, to become 
a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is what a disciple is. That's what a follower of Jesus Christ is. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is a disciple. Jesus is the one that we follow after. We seek to pattern our life after Christ. And in this section in John 1, we are going to look at four disciples that are called by Christ and they follow him, and they go after him, and, and their lives are changed forever. We're going to look at s- some seekers, and we're going to look at the Savior. We're going to look at the nature of salvation, and what is it that takes place? What, what, what is it that is actually happening? As we talked about here, about how we remember the moment we came to faith, and, and, and we think about that, about that moment, but, but it was a process. For some people, it happened right away where you, you just... You just got, you heard the gospel the first time, you got saved, and it was like this thing that happened quickly. But for, for, for all of us, whether it happened quickly when we got saved or it took us a while to get there, it, it's a journey for all of us. And, and we're going to look at, at that. What, what is it that takes place? What is the nature of salvation? Who's doing the seeking? Who's doing the saving? We're going to look at seekers and we're going to look at saviors here today in this text. So let's look at what this text shows us about seekers And about the Savior. So the first section we're going to look at. I've titled it kind of three different realities. as concerning seekers and and the Savior. And the first section we're going to look at from this text. I've called it this. the, The seeker will be tested. The seeker will be tested. This is what we see. Let's look at the first portion of this section in John 1. This narrative here. John 1, 38 through 39. Before we jump in. You remember where we left off last week? Behold the Lamb of God. John the Baptist looks at two disciples. You remember I made it a really big deal at the end of my message, right? I wanted you to get the weight of that. John and his two disciples are hanging out, frying fish or something, and Jesus walks by. And John says, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples that were disciples of John turned, it said, the last verse, verse 37 of chapter 1, and it says they followed him. They followed him. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. Come and you will see. So the two disciples that John the Baptist just passionately pointed them to the reality of the Lamb of God in front of them. They turned and they followed Jesus. And, it, and the text will show us that one of the, those disciples is Andrew. The text doesn't clearly show us who the other one is, but I think the whole book of John shows us who the other disciple is. John was the other disciple. It was Andrew and it was John. And well, how do we know it was John? Well, we know it was John because John is the disciple that never names himself throughout the whole book. John even named himself and said that he was the the disciple that Jesus loved. Uh, That was John for you, right? He wanted you to know that he was a disciple that Jesus loved. He never really named himself. So it's it's Andrew and it's John. So Jesus turns and looks at them. So so they, they hear John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God. And Andrew and John just say, all right, let's go. Let's follow. And Jesus asks them a question. He asked him a question, but it's a simple question, but it's a profound question. It's a question that under the, that the, under the surface of the question, there's such deep meaning to the question. What was the question that Jesus asked them? That he asked them, what are you seeking? 
What are you seeking, Andrew? What are you seeking, John? What are you after? What are you after? He, he didn't ask, who are you seeking? He said, what are you seeking? And when it comes to being a follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus, this question is asked of everyone who turns to follow the Lamb of God. What are you after? What are you seeking? What is your motivation? Why are you following? What, what was Andrew and John seeking? You know, the, the Pharisees, they were seeking John the Baptist. They, they eventually, you see that they were seeking Jesus as well, but they weren't seeking him for the right reasons. The Pharisees were seeking to know if John the Baptist was the Messiah. And then when Jesus came, they were seeking to find out about Jesus, but they were seeking to understand who Jesus was, not because they believed that he was the Messiah, but because they felt that Jesus was a threat to their power. We talked about that last week with John the Baptist. How they, they came to inquire, they sent, uh, they, they sent uh, Levites and priests to go to John the Baptist and to say, who are you, John? Are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? Who are you? And John said, no, I'm not, but behold the lamb. He's here. This is the guy you've been waiting on. And so you see the Pharisees, they could have been categorized as seeking Jesus, but their motivation was wrong. They were, they were looking at Jesus as a threat to their position and power as, a, as spiritual leaders in their communities. But why were Andrew and John seeking after Jesus? And Jesus asked that question, what are you seeking? Do you think Andrew and John got it? you think they understood what they were seeking? I don't. Why do we know that they didn't understand what they were seeking? Read the Gospels. Read the Gospels. You see over and over again, when all the rest of the disciples get called, how many times is Jesus having to remind them, hey, this is why I'm here. This is why I have come. And even at the end, when Jesus dies, most of them, all of them flee and turn and grow and run away because they didn't get it until the resurrection. Even in the resurrection, there were some who still didn't get it. Jesus had to walk through a wall for Thomas. Right? So, but how do we know specifically that Andrew and John didn't get it? Well, I know for sure John didn't get it. So did they believe he was the Messiah? Were they seeking Andrew and John to attach themselves to the ground floor of the earthly kingdom of the Messiah? I, I, I think that may have been what it was about. And how do we know that? Look at Mark 10. This is earlier in the journey of, of Andrew and James and John, the other disciples following. But there was two disciples. John was one of them. It says, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. Wow. Sounds like the prosperity gospel there a little bit, doesn't it? John, what are you seeking First encounter of John with Jesus, Andrew and John. What are you seeking, John? You think John gets it later on? No, he still doesn't get it. We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. What does that mean, one at your right, one at your left in your glory? It means that we want to be in a position of power on your right and on your left. You'll have a throne. I'll have a throne. My brother here will have a throne. We'll be in power. Another gospel gives the full picture of what's going on. Not only did James and John here ask Jesus for positions of power in his earthly kingdom, they got their mama to come and ask too. 
the mother of the sons of Zebedee comes and says, hey, by the way, I know there's a family connection here. Can we tap into a family connection here? And can you give us, can you give my sons a place in the kingdom? Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, the cup of suffering? Or to be baptized with the baptism which I'm to be baptized, the baptism of suffering? They said to him, we're able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. What, what, what does James and John, what do the Andrew and John in this context, or what, 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 what do they remind you of? They remind you of Joe Burrow fans in South Louisiana. That's what they remind you of. Who's rooting for Joe Burrow next week? Amen, right? Yeah, root for Joe Burrow. We're a bunch of bandwagon fans here today, aren't we? That's what it reminds you of, of a bandwagon fan. I, I, did, you, did you notice last week when Joe Burrow was playing, he had the LSU bracelet on his right hand, his throwing arm? He an L, he's an LSU tiger for life. Even, you know, he won a title for us in 2019, right? We're a bunch of bandwagon fans. We, would be criti- we criticize people in our life who root for other teams and just, oh, you're just a bandwagon fan. Well, we all are in Louisiana. Andrew and John, James and John, the early disciples, they, they, they could have been considered bandwagon fans or people who like to position themselves around those who have influence, power, or money. You ever been around people like that? Wherever there's money or there's power to be had or there's people of importance, you can find certain people kind of flocking and gathering around those people. You've been around people like that and it kind of makes you go, ugh. Right? Jesus looks at Andrew and John and says, what are you seeking? The seekers must be tested. They will be tested. Somebody can say, I'm a seeker of Christ. I'm pursuing after Christ, but it will be tested. And this is what Jesus is saying here. Hey, hey guys, I get it. John told you, behold the Lamb of God. He told you, I am the Lamb of God. But what are you after? Why are you following me? What are you seeking? There have always been people who will make superficial commitments to following Jesus. Always will be people who will tag along, bandwagon. They're there for the party. They're there for the fun. They're there, they're there for the power. They're there, they're there for all kind of various superficial reasons. But are they true believers? Are they true followers? The seekers will be tested. Are you truly believing in Christ? So what are some common superficial reasons why people make commitments to follow Jesus or why people associate. Here's a better way to say it. What are some common superficial reasons why people like to associate with Christ or Christianity? Here's some common ones. I've just called the first one the benefits package. You know, when I first started preaching, I didn't really have a clear view of the articulation of the gospel when I was younger and I would just tell people, hey, you want to have peace? You want to have joy? You want to have forgiveness? You don't want to go to hell? Hey, it's a great benefits package. You just got to give a little money every month. You got to repeat a prayer at an altar. You're good to go. Look at the benefits package. We didn't say it quite like that. We would say it a little differently, but that's kind of what we were saying, were we not? 
Look at all the list of things that you can get from following Christ. The benefits package. And who doesn't want a lot of good benefits when it comes to following Christ? But is that Christianity? I wouldn't say so, according to Scripture. How about this one? Here's another superficial reason people like to associate with Christ or, or, or the church. The networking possibilities. Hey, uh, I own a business. I'm a contractor. I'm a business person. I'm, uh, uh, you know, I, I have something that I can come and connect with people that a lot of people in here you know, might want to be a part of what I'm doing. And so you, it's a great network working opportunity and people will come and associate and fellowship, not because they are be- beholding the lamb of God, but because they see this as an opportunity to network, to further their agenda. Or thirdly, here's another reason, the opportunity for position and power. You know, people, people can see a way to the top. I want to associate and be a part of, of being somebody of influence and power in the life of the church. And there are people who will rise to positions of power within churches because they have charisma and they can communicate and they have great leadership ability. But is, is that really what Christianity is all about for people to find their place of position and power and influence? No. What about the social connection? People are lonely. They need friends. They need a social connection. We know we need friends, don't we? We know we need connections. Now, if we didn't know it before, you know it now in 2020, after 2020, don't you? You need to come together. We need to gather. Side note for those who are genuine believers in Jesus Christ, not just using the church for social connections, but you have beheld the Lamb of God and you are a believer. You need to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ. It is essential. It is essential. It is necessary. We are not moving to the metaverse, my brothers and sisters. You are not an avatar. You've heard about this, right? The metaverse church, avatars. You know what an avatar is? It's an attack on men and women made in the image of God. And it's reducing men and women made in the image of God to a digital picture. No, that's not what you need. You need interaction with other image bearers of God to help you grow closer to the lamb that you have beheld. To see his beauty more clearly. Do you believe that? What about the family ties? Some of you, some of you here, may, you, you, you might be here, and that might be you. Maybe it's the family ties. This is reasons why people superficially connect to church. Because my family came to this church. My mom, my dad, my grandparents. This is my religion. This is what I do. I attend church. The truth is this. Following Jesus has always been about what Jesus says it was about. Following after Jesus has always been what Jesus said it was. What did Jesus say that it meant to follow him? Look at Luke, Luke chapter 9. Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him do what? Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If anyone would come after me, Andrew, John, what are you seeking? Are you seeking position and power and prominence? Are you here just because you believe that as a good Jew, you want to attach yourself to the coming Messiah? You finally found him. You believe that I am he 
And now you're wanting to attach yourself to me. And at the early stages of my earthly kingdom, Andrew, John, is that why you're following me? But, or are you here to deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow me? Following Jesus is about a denial of self. It has always been about a denial of self and a taking up of our cross and following after Jesus. Christianity is not about finding yourself. People will tell you all the time, even in churches, the messages you might listen to on YouTube, they'll tell you Christianity is about finding yourself. You have to find who you really are on the inside. That's a bunch of baloney. Christianity is about losing yourself and finding Christ. And letting Christ live in you and through you. That is Christianity. The culture around you will continually tell you that for you to reach your fullest potential, you have to tap into your true inner self. The Bible will tell you that your true inner self must be crucified. Your, your fleshly desires that were there before Christ must be crucified. You must take up your cross and have those desires crucified so that the new creation in Christ can be seen by others. Christianity is not a religion of just becoming the best you that you could possibly be for the sake of your name. Christianity is about you becoming who Christ has called you to be so that you can glorify his name. I didn't even have that in my notes. That was just spontaneous. The seeker will be tested. The seeker will be tested. What are you here for? What are you seeking? Andrew, John, what are you seeking? Following Jesus is not about you reaching the top of the kingdom. It was interesting to that question that Jesus asked Andrew and John. What was their answer? (laughs) A question. A question. If you, you know, if the Lord Jesus, of course, again, you got to cut Andrew and John some slack. They didn't quite know he was the son of God yet. You got to cut him some slack. But just think about this. If you knew it was the Lord Jesus and he asked you a question, what are you seeking? You're not going to ask him another question. You're going to just be like bowing on your face and whatever you want, Lord. I'm seeking you. But they asked him a question from his question. What are you seeking? They said, where are you staying? We're following you. We want to know the accommodations here, man. Like, where are you staying? I'm following you, so we're going to go. You know, it was common that before we, like, there actually is a reality as to what's going on here. It was common in that day that if followers would follow a, a good teacher, a famous teacher, a rabbi, that they just kind of commune together. They, they, they stayed together. So it was a very practical question. They're like, hey, John said you're the dude. I don't know about your question about what I'm seeking, but I really want to know where I'm going to sleep tonight. What's it look like at your house? (laughs) And you know what Jesus said later on, right? He said, I ain't got nowhere to lay my head. Andrew and John's answer to Jesus' question was a question. Where are you staying? And what did Jesus say? Come and you will. You'll see. So next we see. The next section. Look back at the text, John 1. The story continues. So they came, and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. 
And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So the seeker will be tested. Secondly, we see here that the seeker who believes will become an an evangelist. The seeker who believes will become an evangelist. The seeker will be tested and either the seeker will believe or they won't. But if they will believe, they will become an evangelist. We see this right here in this text. Where are you staying? Jesus says, come and you will see. They stayed with him that day. So we're going to fill in the gap here a, a little bit. There's some missing pieces to what is saying here and we can kind of get some context clues as to what may have happened between the time that Andrew and John stay with Jesus and then Andrew goes after and gets his brother Simon Peter. So something happened between the time that Andrew and John say, hey, where are you staying, Jesus? And Jesus says, come, you will see. And then after they stayed with Jesus, Andrew goes and gets Simon and says, hey, we found him. Something happened. Well, it says that whenever Jesus says, come and you will see. It says that in this, the next section there, it says that they stayed with him that day for it was about <clears throat> the 10th hour. Well, the 10th hour would have been 4 p.m. Around 4 p.m. of that time, it would probably be more like what we would say was our 5 p.m. What happens at 5 p.m. In, in Homa if you're trying to drive on 311 and Martin Luther King? Don't turn left is what is happening. <laughs> at 5 p.m. Don't turn left. Just turn right and go the long way. Keep turning right. It, that's the 4 p.m. of this time, the 10th hour. People were going home. They're getting in their horses and they're, and they're you know, they're in their carriages and they're going, they're going where they got to go to get home. They're leaving the field uh, from their work and they're headed home. 10th hour of the day. Where are you staying? Come, come. It's 4 p.m. Let's come to my place and I'll show you. I'll talk to you. So perhaps, we don't see it in this text, but something had to happen from the time that Andrew and John go with Jesus, they stay with him, it's late in the afternoon, heading into the evening, something had to happen that shifted, especially in Andrew's heart, because Andrew goes and he gets his brother. What do you think may have happened? I I think what might have happened would have been what had happened uh, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember after the resurrection of Jesus? Jesus is walking down a road and he finds two disciples and he shields himself. He prevents these two disciples from recognizing him. We don't know who the, who the disciples were. They're not named. But he prevents them from knowing who he is and he walks along the road and he talks to them on their journey. Look at the conclusion of that story. Luke 24 it says, And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary That the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Perhaps, come stay with me, Andrew and John. I got some things to talk to you about. Perhaps with Andrew and John, Jesus shared with them how he was the fulfillment of the prophecies concerning the Messiah. He connected the dots. I believe he connected the dots. I know he connected the dots. Who connected the dots for you? Who connected the dots for you? 
Jesus connected the dots for Andrew and John. Jesus connected the dots for the two on the road to Emmaus. But who connected the dots in your life? Was it, was it, was it your parents? Did they connect the dots about Christ? Was it, your, was it your pastor? Was it a friend? Was it a coworker? Was it somebody you randomly started watching on YouTube or on TV? You heard somebody, they connected the dots about Christ. You know what's so powerful about this is that the connecting of the dots concerning the gospel of Christ and how it comes down to us is this, is that the gospel of Christ rides on the shoulders to us on somebody else, from somebody else. The gospel comes down to us on the shoulders of someone else. We don't come to it on our own. It comes from someone else. We don't stumble into the gospel all of a sudden and it just came out of nowhere. No, it comes from somebody who has Christ in their heart, whether it's a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a friend, a neighbor, a pastor, a preacher, a teacher, an evangelist, a missionary. Who connected the dots for you? Somebody did. And you are here. Amen. Isn't that powerful? Think back to that. Yeah, amen. Think back to that. There were no dots connecting. Nothing was firing on all cylinders. But somebody connected all the dots and you were awakened to the gospel. How do we know the dots were connected for Andrew and John? How do we know they believe? Look back to the text. Let's keep reading the story back to where we were reading John 1, 40. It says, and one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. After they stayed with Jesus, right, Simon Peter's brother, he just, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah. We found him. What did he do? He brought him to Jesus. That's how we know the dots were connected. He brought him to Jesus. One of the premier marks of a genuine believer is that they bring others to Jesus. When you believe, you want others to believe. When you have been transformed, when the dots have been connected in your life and you come to believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the dots have been connected. You want to connect the dots for other people in your life. Maybe it's your husband, it's your wife, it's your family, it's other family members. Maybe it's your coworker that you, you work at and you're like, oh God, please save them because I can't work with them any longer. And you want to connect the dots for them. One of the premier marks of a genuine believer is that they bring others to Jesus. Believers will share good news. Listen, I'm going to say it again. Believers will share good news. How do I know believers will share good news? news because I am a believer in a certain type of bread that is sold at Rouse's it's called Izio French baguette bread is there anyone else in here who has bought Izio French baguette bread one really seriously two to a pack yeah Yes, I don't know. I'll confirm. Because if, if you're confused, you need to be unconfused. So I'm in Rouse's the other day. I stumbled across this bread two, three months ago. Now we eat it every day. Our kids laugh. Oh, more baguettes. So I'm in Rouse's the other day. This is like a week ago. And I'm a believer in this bread. And it is good news that everyone should hear. 
So I'm walking towards the bread to go get more bread. When I go to Rouse's, I get this bread. I've given up on their French bread. I want the baguette. So I go and I'm walking towards it. And there's a lady I see at a distance and she's at the the station and she picks up the bag and she looks at it and she's kind of looking and she puts it back in the basket and is about to walk away. And I say, no, (laughs) I get my way up to her. I never met the woman in my life. But I am a believer in Izio's French baguette bread. And I say, ma'am, you really need to get that bread. I'm telling you, it is so good. She said, well, I'm here looking for sourdough bread. I said, I don't know about sourdough bread, but I know this bread is really good. You take it out of the pack. You, you, you put it in the oven at, at 400 for 10 minutes. And, and this is what I told her. I said, you slice that. You put some fresh, real butter on it, not margarine, that real salted butter. Whew, you know what we did? I took that, I took, I melted some butter and I put some like Italian seasoning in it and some olive oil and some garlic and mix it all together and we spread that. That's, a, that's another level. <laughs> so I've only found it at the Rouse's on St. Charles. I haven't checked any other Rouse's, but Izio French baguette bread. Look it up. Believers will do what? You do it all the time. You go to a restaurant and they have good service. You're going to tell somebody, man, that is a great restaurant. What do you tell them if it's a bad service? I'm a believer that that's a bad restaurant to eat at. You warn people. Believers will share good news. So the question is not, will believers share the good news concerning Jesus? The questions are this. When will we share the good news? Where will we share the good news? And how will we share the good news? When, where, or how? So here's another question. How good does the good news need to be to compel us to share it? How good does the good news need to be to compel us to share it? Well, here's the good news. Listen to the good news. Romans 5. This is how good the good news is. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for me. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. You, you, might, you might jump in front of a bus for somebody that you love. Someone would probably do that. You would do that for your family. Though perhaps even a good person won't even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were his enemies, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this is the good news. The good news is that we were still sinners when Christ died for us. We were enemies of the cross of Christ. We wanted nothing to do with God. We wanted to live our own way according to our own desires, our own plans. We didn't want anybody to crimp our style. We wanted to walk in the sin that we walked in. And then the gospel broke through. Somebody began to connect the dots and they began to show us the reality of who God is and and the reality of sin, the reality of judgment. And they began to connect the dots and the gospel worked on our hearts. That is the power of the gospel. And that's what Andrew did. Andrew tells his brother, Simon, we found him. Come and see for yourself. Believers will share the good news. It's kind of like the Samaritan woman in John 4. What happened with the Samaritan woman? What did she say after Jesus connected the dots for her? What did she say? She went into her town and she said what? Come see a, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. I found him. I found the Messiah. Bringing people to Jesus like Andrew did and like the Samaritan woman did does not always mean just bringing them to church. 
That's often what we think. Well, I, you know, I got to bring him to Jesus. So that means I got to let Pastor Ben preach to him so they can come to Jesus. Bringing people to Jesus can mean you bring him to church. That is a part of it. We invite people to come to church on Sundays. But bringing people to Jesus means you, Andrew, you, John, bring them to Jesus. So I just want to encourage you. We'll be starting a class in the spring. Just be looking for it. It'll be a class on evangelism. It'll be a class on helping us all grow in our evangelism. We're all called to be evangelists. We're all called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we want to teach a class on what, what is the gospel and what is it that we need to share and what are some strategies and ways in which we can, we can take opportunities in our everyday life to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bring people to Jesus. So what is the gospel? And I'm just going to share this real quickly before we move on to the concluding thought here. Here's six talking points, high points of what I would say the high points of the gospel are. Here they are. They're in your notes. You can take them home. Here it is. God is holy. Man is sinful. Judgment is coming. Right there. Start right there with people. God is holy. Man is sinful. Judgment is coming. Now, where's the good news? Because that's bad news. That's the bad news. Where's the good news? The good news is Jesus paid the price. The resurrection sealed the deal, repent and believe. That's the gospel. God is holy, man is sinful, judgment is coming, Jesus paid the price, the resurrection sealed the deal, now repent and believe. Those are the talking points of the gospel. And we can say it in, in different ways. If it's, you got to even put that on a cue card for yourself. Put it on an index card. Keep it in your, in your front pocket, in your purse, in your wallet, wherever you go. Hey, I want to talk to you about Jesus. Pull it out. Hey, did you know God's holy? Sin can't dwell in his presence. And did you know that we are sinners in need of a savior? But did you know that judgment is coming and that if you don't repent, you're going to receive judgment? But did you also know that Jesus paid the price? Did you track with that? Nice little big picture points to help us preach the gospel. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Andrew and John, what are you seeking? Because this is who I am, Jesus is saying. This is why I've come. The seeker will be tested. Is the seeker going to believe? Is the seeker following for superficial reasons? We see Andrew and John, they, they were not superficial. They had some things that Christ had worked out in them. And, but the seeker who believes will tell others the good news. And lastly, this morning, look back at the text. Here's the third thing we're going to see. God is the one who seeks us first. The seeker will be tested The seeker who believes will become an evangelist. And thirdly, God is the one who seeks us first. John 1, 43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to them, follow me. The next day, Jesus decided to go. He found Philip and said, follow me. The next day, Jesus said, hey, I think, think, you know, I could go here. I could go there. I don't know. Where should I go? Um... Okay, let's go to Galilee. You think that's how it happened? The next day, Jesus decided to go. You know, when we have options and we say, okay, I could go to Firehouse Subs. I could go to, you know, to Moe's. You know, they're in the same parking lot, you know. Or I could go to La Coretta. I could go to Olive Garden. All right, where should I go? Hmm. Okay, let's go there. You think that's what happened when Jesus woke up that day? The next day, Jesus woke up. He's wiping the, the, the boogers out of his eyes. And he's thinking, ha, huh, 
I got a couple more disciples following me. Where should we go today? No way. Of course not. The next day, Jesus decided to go. Why? Because he was on mission. He had a plan. What do we see? Do you remember the Samaritan woman who became an evangelist? Look at John 4, 4. And he had to go pass through Samaria. Why did he have to pass through Samaria? Through Samaria. He is on a mission. What about Zacchaeus? Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19? Look at verse 1 and 2. Zacchaeus was a short little dude who couldn't see. The crowds were all over following Jesus. And Zacchaeus had to climb up into a tree, the sycamore tree, to see Jesus. Jesus entered Jericho, verse 1, and was passing through. Uh, was he just, hey, Jericho's, a, you know, it's a good option. Maybe we'll go through this direction or that direction. No, Jericho was the long route to get to where Jesus was going, by the way, when you read that story. He passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So here's a, is a truth about Jesus, about God. Jesus was not just a man gaining information as he went along. Jesus, God doesn't gain information as he goes along. Do you realize that? He's not trying to figure out what's happening. Oh, I had no idea this pandemic was going to happen. What are we going to do now, Holy Spirit? He's not looking up in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, thinking, we have a global pandemic we got to deal with here. Jesus doesn't gain information and and then come up with a plan. Jesus has a plan from eternity past. And he, he is unfolding that plan throughout human history. That's who our God is. How often do we walk into situations that we had no knowledge beforehand con- concerning what we were about to walk into? That, that's us, right? I mean, you've been there. You walk into a situation, you walk in. I, I, just, I, I, can see this, I can see this play this over in my mind. I've walked into to situations. You walk in to a room. It's full of people. And, and, and you go, ooh, let's just leave this room. I don't like that drama. I don't like that situation. That's a little weird. Let's get out of there. That's who we are because I didn't know what was happening in that room before I walked in. But that's not who God is. Our God sees and our God knows. Our God is in control. Our God is unfolding his plan. He is the one who seeks us first. God is the seeker first. Before we ever became a seeker, he was seeking us first. He had to go to Samaria. He had to go to Galilee. He didn't just decide one day I'm going to wake up and go to Galilee. No, it was a part of his sovereign plan to wake up and it was a part of his agenda. Today, I'm going to Galilee because I'm going to see a couple of people that need to know about me. God's the one who seeks us first. God in the flesh, listen, doesn't go anywhere not knowing who will be there before he shows up. Put that on your fridge. Look at that every day. God in the flesh doesn't go anywhere not knowing who will be there before he shows up. You know what that tells us about our God? He's got a plan. He has a plan. As Jesus walked the earth, there was no accidents in his interactions. We might often say, oh, what a coincidence. No, there's no coincidences. What about the conclusion of the story of Zacchaeus? I, I love this and just points to this reality that God's the one who seeks us first. Look at the conclusion. Jesus comes. He's about to go. He comes to Zacchaeus' house. So he calls up to Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I got to go to your house today. 
Zacchaeus comes down and he, he understands who Christ is. He says, I want to pay back everything I've stolen as a crooked tax collector. I want to pay it back seven times. I want to re- return everything I've stolen. Look what Jesus says. Today, salvation has come to this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham. God's a keeper of covenant. Listen to what Jesus says about himself. For the son of man came to what? Seek and to save the lost. Our God is the one who seeks us first. Let's look now at the conclusion of our text in John 1. I love this section. So God's the one who seeks us first. We see that with Zacchaeus. We see that with the Samaritan woman. We see it all over scripture. He is the one who seeks us first. So, Jesus seeks and finds Philip. That's what we saw in the verses there. And Philip turns into an evangelist. Philip says, I'm going to go get Nathaniel. And then Jesus pursues Nathaniel in a very powerful way. Let's look at how that unfolds. Back to John 1, verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel because he had found Jesus. He acted like Andrew. He goes and tells Nathaniel, hey, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, that, that's how he said it, by the way. That was the inflection of his voice, I believe. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, what? Come and see. Same words that Jesus used. Hey, come, come and see, come and see. So wow, what a scene. Philip is convinced. Philip believes and he says, hey, I'm gonna become an evangelist. Nate, Nate, hey, we found him, Nate. We found the one the law and the prophet spoke about. He's Jesus. He's from Nazareth. Now, can you imagine Nathaniel as Philip is talking to him? Nathaniel is like getting excited. You found him? Really? You found him? We've been waiting for him. He's here? Yeah, he's here. I'm telling you, he's here. He's Jesus. He's the son of Joseph. You know, you know Jesus from Nazareth? Nazareth? Okay. You had me, but then you said Nazareth. You had me, but you lost me at Nazareth. No, no. Can anything good come on Nazareth, Philip? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Why didn't Nathaniel have that mindset? He was from Galilee where the other disciples were found. Range and John were found. Nathaniel was from Galilee, which is where Jesus found Philip. And the city of Nazareth was a tiny, insignificant city. You know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem but raised in Nazareth. The city of Nazareth was a a tiny, insignificant city. And the Galileans, who lived 10 miles north, despised and looked down on the people of Nazareth. Up in the north, looking down on the small, little, tiny people of Nazareth. Nazareth. Just a little sidebar for us to kind of stop and ponder for a second. What small city or people do we look down on? Who is it in our life that we would look down on and say, ah, I don't want anything to do with those people? Right? Or may we never have that mindset. May we never be like Nathaniel in that moment. Nazareth, anything good from those people? Do you remember the Samaritan woman there? Right? The Jews hated the Samaritans because they weren't pure blooded Jews. The Samaritans had intermarried with 
people who were not Jews, and so they became intermarried with paganism, and the, the Jews hated the Samaritans. May we never be like that, where we look down on a, on, on a city, on a people, and we think we are better than them because of our heritage, because of our income, because of our station in life. No, may we always walk in humility in our interaction with people that we think are less than us, because in reality, no one is less than us, because we are all made in the image of our creator. What small city or people are we tempted to look down on like Nathaniel did? Philip says, hey, look, I know, I know you're freaking out here. There's no way that, 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 that anything good. The, the, the Messiah, if he's going to come, he's not going to come from Nazareth. He'll come from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the Messiah is going to come, not Nazareth. No way. And Philip says, hey, come and see. Let's pick up the story. John 1, 47 through 50. I love this reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus saw Nathaniel. Nathaniel who said there's no way that this guy from that tiny, small, insignificant city could have anything good to do with my life. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite speaking to Nathaniel, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Some translations say guile, in whom there is no deceit, no guile. Nathaniel looks at this guy that he looks down on because he's from Nazareth and he says, how do you know me? I think that's how he said it, by the way. Anything good come from Nazareth? How do you know me? You don't know me. You can't judge me. How do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Oh, wow. This is the same moment as last week. I don't know if we understand this, right? This is the same similar type of moment. Jesus is looking at Nathaniel, and he's looking at the doubt in Nathaniel's eyes, in his mind, his heart. He knows the heart of man. Jesus didn't need anyone to tell him about the heart of man because he is God. He knows us inside and out. He knows everything that we say, everything that we do. He sees us everywhere that we go. What a sobering reality, is that not? And here is Nathaniel full of his doubt about the good news of the gospel, about Jesus being the Messiah. And Jesus looks at him and he doesn't chide him for his doubt and his criticism. He doesn't rebuke him. He says, hey, I want to help you a little bit. Can I help you a little bit, Nate? Let me help you a little bit. Hey, I saw you. I saw you by the fig tree. Nathaniel's like, wait a minute. How? I've never met you in my life. How did you know that before I was here or or that that I was under a fig tree? What does Nathaniel say in response to this? Teacher, you are the son of God. Isn't that so good? That's so powerful. That's the power of us, the power of the gospel, that the gospel breaks through whatever barriers we may have, whatever doubts we may have, the gospel can break through all of that. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? He said, you will see greater things than these. 
buddy, buckle your seatbelt. I'm, I'm about to take uh, uh, some loaves and some fishes and feed thousands of people. I'm about to raise Lazarus from the dead. I'm about to do all these wonderful miracles. If you think just because I knew where you were before I showed up and found you, that that is reason to believe I'm the son of God, man, you have seen nothing yet. Beyond all of that, one day I will die and one day I will rise. And I will demonstrate to all of creation, throughout all of history, that I am the son of God. That I am the risen Savior. You will see greater things than these. Come and see Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? What did Nate come to realize that day? This is what he came to realize. He came to realize that from Nazareth, the greatest good, the greatest good came from Nazareth. The Son of God came from Nazareth. That's what he came to to realize for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost Jesus came for all kinds of sinners that's why he came seekers will be tested do you really believe what are you seeking what are you after why are you in church why are you pursuing Christ Do you really believe he's a lamb of God? Do you believe he's a resurrected savior? What are you seeking? What are you after when you really believe? Is it because you came up with, uh, you you came up with the solution to your problems and, and you atoned for your own sins? Is that why you believe? No, you didn't believe because of all those reasons, because of all that self effort. You believe because our God is a God who seeks and saves the lost. He comes for all kinds of sinners, sinners who know they're sinners. And sinners who don't know they're sinners. And sinners who have doubts. And every sinner in between. He comes for all of us. He seeks and saves those that are lost. The seeker will be tested. The seeker who believes will share the good news. And and God is the one who seeks us first. I love love that reality of our God. That God is the seeker who says come. Come. How does that make sense? God is a seeker who says, come. It seemed like he would just say, come. Come, 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 come on your own. You know, that's all other religious systems apart from Christ. All other religious messages say, come. Come on your own. Climb the ladder. Do good. Don't be bad. Get to God. Jesus in Christianity says, I'm seeking you. I'm pursuing you, but come. I'm seeking you, pursuing you, but I say, come to me. Look what Matthew 11 says. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal. Wow. We like to jump over scriptures like that, don't we? We like like the ones come to me. Come to me. Christ died for the whole world. We like all those types of scriptures. But look at what that scripture says right there. It says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Wow. Who's the one who saves? Who's the one who saves? You can talk to me. Jesus is the one who saves. He's the one who seeks and to saves those who are lost. But look at verse 28. Come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God is the great seeker who calls us to come. And that is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not of salvation. It is not of us. It is a grace of God. But we are called to come after him, to pursue him. Do you believe that here today? None of us here could save ourselves. It's not in our own strength. The Bible says in Romans is that no one seeks after God. No one pursues him. All have turned aside to their own way. Simply put, this is the power of the gospel. The God who seeks and calls us to come. First John 4, to summarize, says this. We love because he first loved us. Amen? We love because he first loved us. I would have never come to love Christ had he not set his love on me when I was a sinner. I would have never loved Christ unless he had loved me First, And what a great powerful truth that is of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love because he loved me first. For God so loved the world that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. He set his love on us. And so because of him seeking us, then we respond to that love. And we can be born again. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? We love because he first loved us. Maybe you're a seeker here today. Maybe you're coming in and, and you're seeking God. I'm, I'm here to tell you that God's the one seeking you. You're here because God sought after you. You wouldn't be here unless God was seeking you first. And maybe you're here today and, and you're, you're curious about Christ and you've heard the gospel here today. And you realize that you are a sinner, that God is holy and that man is sinful and that judgment is coming. That unless our sins are atoned for, that judgment will come. Judgment is coming. And the only way that we can be in heaven forever with Christ is if we would repent and believe in the work that Christ did on the cross. No one need go to hell separated from Christ forever because Christ made a once for all sacrifice that is sufficient for the sins of humanity. That you can repent and believe today. The reason we know that we can spend eternity in heaven is because Christ rose from the dead. He didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead, victorious over sin, over death, and over, over hell. And if anyone here today would repent and believe in Jesus Christ, you can be a new creation. The old can be gone, the new can come. So I want to ask you a question. If you're here today and that is you and you want to respond to the gospel today, this good news of forgiveness of sins, reconciliation to your father, your heavenly father, and a new start in your life. If that's you, with no one looking around, just between you and the Lord, would you, would you slip up your hand? Is there anybody here today? Thank you. Anyone else? Would that be you, that you want to repent and believe in Jesus Christ here today? Anyone else? The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10 that if you would believe in your heart and confess with your mouth 
that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. I'm going to pray a prayer of commitment to the Lord. And if, if that is something that you are connecting with, that you are confessing Christ here today, would you pray in your heart with me here today? Would you confess Christ? Father God, we come before you this morning and, and we acknowledge God, there's those in here this morning who need to acknowledge that you are God that I am a sinner and that the only way that I can be born again is that it, I would repent and believe in the gospel so Lord we repent God I repent today and I believe in the gospel I turn my back on the world and I pursue Christ I confess you as Lord here today ask God that you would save me make me brand new cleanse me of my sins we pray this in Jesus name amen amen if you prayed that prayer here today if you prayed that prayer of salvation here today to confess Christ I have a book for you it's called what is the gospel it's a little small book and really it takes those high points of the gospel I talked about in my sermon and what I concluded with and it It just helps you to go a little deeper in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you confess Christ today, we want to talk to you. We want to meet you. We want to pray with you. And there will be people at the welcome desk. It's in the foyer. And they're going to give you a copy of this book. And they'll be able to ask you and you'll be able to answer some questions that you might have. But we want to give you this book. So if you are coming to Christ today and you want want to, to know more about Christ, you want to know more about the gospel and how we can help you in this journey, please meet us at the welcome desk. And if you come to Christ here today and you want to publicly confess that decision, water baptism is the way we publicly declare our faith in Jesus Christ. You look throughout all of the, through the book of Acts, you look throughout the New Testament, the way in which people went public with their faith was through water. They came to faith in Christ. What did Jesus, what did, what, what happened with, with uh, Peter on the road with the, with the Ethiopian eunuch. It wasn't Peter. It was Philip. Thank you. As <laughs> a pastor, I got to get that right. Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. He read from Isaiah chapter 53. And the, the Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe. I believe. Where's the water? Where's the water? So if you want to go public with your faith, you can also go to the welcome desk and sign up. Get your book. Sign up for baptism on, on the same day. Amen. Here's how.